All right, here we go. My guest today is School of Social Sciences economics professor Jan Bruckner. Last week, he spoke at the 2018 Greater Irvine Business Outlook Breakfast held at the Hotel Irvine. His topic was land use regulation, should we have more or less? This is a particularly relevant issue in Irvine as traffic continues to get more congested and there's a grassroots initiative being advanced to require more oversight of new commercial and residential developments in the city of Irvine. Welcome, Professor. How are you today? Good. Thanks for the uh, opportunity to talk to your audience. Fantastic. Well, why don't we first start with how you originally became interested in economics and grew from there? So I was an undergraduate at UC Berkeley from 1968 to 1972. And I took my first economics course, Principles of Economics. And during the course, I said, this is what I want to do. So and pursued it ever since. What was it about, you know, what was that sparkle, twinkle? The thing I like about economics is it's about people and human interaction, but it's quantitative and rigorous and analytical. So it's a mix, it's a mixture of social science issues, the same kinds of things that historians and sociologists would think about, but there's a mathematical, quantitative, formal aspect to the subject that I really like. Excellent. So you continued. Did you know you'd get your PhD always, or was that, no, did that not, develop? No, not always. But by the end of my undergraduate career, I knew that I wanted to get a PhD. Gotcha. And land use regulation, has that been something that you've been interested in, or is it a new topic for you? No, I've written lots of papers on land use regulation. It's oh. one of my areas of research. Much of my research is in the, in the field of urban economics, and land use economics is an important part of urban economics, and then regulation is an important policy issue within uh, the economics of land use. Can you give us the highlights of your speech last week about land use regulations as things become more congested in Irvine and other areas also? What has been your discoveries in that complex spectrum? Well, let me just sort of start at the beginning. California is known as a very regulated state when it comes to land use. What that means is that there are all kinds of restrictions on development. Restrictions that limit the quantity of development, the amount of building that can be done. Restrictions that limit the character of development, how dense it can be, those kinds of things. And so it's widely thought that these restrictions, by reducing the supply of housing in California relative to what it could be in a less regulated environment, have raised housing prices. So California is clearly a very nice place to live. It has great natural amenities. And so there's a high willingness to pay to live here uh, on the part of most consumers. But this willingness to pay, which itself leads to high housing prices, is amplified or its effects are amplified by regulation, which restricts the amount of housing that can be built out here. So my talk at the Irvine breakfast was basically about this question and uh, this issue and how it relates to a new ballot proposal that has been put forward by an Irvine group called Irvine for Responsible Growth. I think that's the name of the Mm -hmm. the group. Mm -hmm. And essentially what this ballot proposal would do would require any sizable 
development in the city of Irvine, residential, commercial, whatever, to actually be voted on by the, the city's voters in a, on a ballot, okay? So essentially, the voters would control development in Irvine. And the, the motivation for this proposal comes from the fact that development and growth in Irvine has had some negative side effects. Lots of traffic. I think we all experience traffic if we try to drive around Irvine, especially in, at rush hour. And various population pressures, pressures on schools, on, on various other public facilities. And so the goal of this measure is to really slam on the brakes when it comes to development in Irvine by giving voters control. And so what we would expect then is that if this measure appears on the ballot, it's still getting signatures, by the way, if it appears on the ballot and passes, that we would see less development in Irvine, and that in turn would lead to an increase in housing prices beyond what is already observed. And so the argument then is that we ought to think about this. Is this what we want? Do we want to put the brakes on growth and make our city less affordable to others? Or do we want to think twice about this, uh, this proposal and realize that it hurts some people. People it hurts are renters whose rents are going to go up along with housing prices. And it's going to hurt prospective homeowners, people who don't yet own a home and would like to buy one. Who is it going to benefit? Well, the quality of life impacts of a low growth proposal, namely less traffic than you'd have otherwise and things like that, will be beneficial to everyone who lives in Irvine, renters, prospective homeowners, and existing homeowners. But this one particular group, existing homeowners, will benefit from higher housing prices. In other words, if your house is worth more, that's great. You can sell it for more. People like to see appreciation in their, their owner-occupied property. Uh, it makes them wealthy and gives them money they can use in various ways. If they sell and move somewhere else, they can take the money with them. They can get a home equity line of credit to increase their consumption of non-housing goods. So anyway, house price increases are good for owners. They're not good for people who are not yet owners. And so what my argument in the, in the lunch was to say, well, we ought to think about all these effects and we ought to realize that maybe it's not a purely beneficial thing to put the brakes on development in Irvine, even though a big group of people existing homeowners will benefit. I also heard you talk about homelessness is definitely every time rents go higher. Right. The homeless advocates, they know that it will cause more right, homelessness. That's true. That wasn't part of my presentation. Uh-huh. It was part of another related presentation by the Zillow CEO. But yes, housing prices also are underlying the homeless problem we have in California and elsewhere in the United States. So that's another group that is harmed by tightening of the housing market. Now, we don't have much homelessness in Irvine, obviously, but we've got it nearby. We've got it in L.A. and so on. So that's another group that one wants to think about. Mm. Have you looked in the area, Professor, of it seems like everybody's in agreement that transportation traffic congestion is the big problem. I don't think, you know, even though I don't think most people, I grew up in Orange, have been around Orange County my whole life. I didn't foresee that we would be having three, four, five-story apartment buildings being built. You know, I mean, they just seem to be popping up all over the place and construction costs and everything. As things get filled up, things go up. And I must admit, back in the 80s, I saw these major boulevards of Irvine and thought, these streets will never be filled up. Mm -hmm. What are they doing? And now we see... No, it's uh, wall-to-wall traffic. Yeah. Well, you know, five-story apartment buildings are 
a reflection of the demand to live in Irvine and the cost of land. So when land is expensive, developers build up to conserve on land in their developments. And that's what we're seeing here. So five, you know, you may not like high density development, but it's a symptom of the demand for living in this area and the developers' responses to it. What about transportation alternatives? Have you seen, is that part of your studies? Have you seen other areas successfully tackle this problem? Well, I mean, we know that LA has built has greatly expanded its light rail system, so that's an alternative. I don't think we <clears throat> realistically have any alternatives like that in Irvine. Mm-hmm. Um, people getting around the city are not going to forsake their car and and take uh, like a light rail if it existed. Presumably, in LA, there are longer distance commutes over more complicated paths, and the light rail may be attractive for many people. But I, I don't think we have an alternative transport mode solution to traffic in Irvine. I think that we just have to deal with the infrastructure we've got, which is pretty substantial, wide streets and so on. Moreover, it strikes me that Irvine is pretty much built out. I mean, it's not there's not that much more land to build on here. And so I think that we're approaching the limit of a population for the city. I may be wrong. I mean, all you have to do is look. It's pretty much built out. A lot of land is set aside permanently as open space. So that's interesting because I my sense is there's still a f- fair amount, you know, just well, I mean, the, just, there's the Great Park area, which still has room for growth. City is is substantially developed. Yeah. As an economist, when you talk about quality of life, do you measure that? Is that something that you you feel, you know, yeah, that's part of my um, calibration? Well, you know, economists do lots of studies that, say, relate house prices to a whole list of quality of life variables, like climate, crime, air pollution, access to good schools, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yes, I mean, it's a, something that economists do. And we all know the quality of life here is very high. I mean, there's a traffic issue in Irvine. But, I mean, otherwise, it's a lovely city with great scenery and uh, beautiful developments. It, it seems like here's the rub. We have, you know, it, it, business is pro-development. It's pro-expansion. That's how we grow economically. Mm -hmm. And now we have, you know, a grassroots effort to slow that down because of quality of life issues or so forth. At this point, is it, okay, now it's a political issue because you have opposing viewpoints. Right. That's true. It's definitely a political issue, no question about it. But we have a city council and a mayor in Irvine, and they're elected. And so the, the right way to make for voters to make their wishes known is through this electoral process. Having voters try to take over land use regulation, mm. I think, is just misguided. It's sort of like the California proposition system. Many people argue that it's not a desirable system because you have voters being asked to vote on technical issues that they don't understand, issues that are better settled in the state legislature. Mm-hmm. It's exactly the same thing with this proposal. So I think we have there are plenty of democratic routes toward addressing people's concerns about growth. That's point one. Whether or not we should slam on the brakes, there is a NIMBY rationale for doing so, but there's there are these harms to other people. Uh, that I think we should consider. For people to become more educated on this 
situation or, you know, even from a macro point of view, is there, you know, have you come across any, anything to read, um, you know, for, for somebody who wants to become, you know, more educated in terms of it's a slippery slope when, when we start having regulations that heavy handed and it, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it becomes very polarized, which is a situation that we haven't, Politics a lot in right. the United States. I, I can't point to any particular thing to read. But, you know, we have the same regulatory struggle, regulation, deregulation struggle at the national level. Mm-hmm. Now, with a focus on environmental regulations. And so the Trump administration is trying to cut back on environmental regulation. Now, I won't tell you my personal view on that, but regulatory struggles are all around us. I also see that you've been very involved with the airline Right. Industry. Can you describe that? So I've, uh, it's one of my research areas, mm-hmm. work on the economics of the airline industry. And, and just for a moment, Professor, I see we're burning time here. So I just want to, anybody who has joined us late, you're listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer. And we're here today with School of Social Sciences economics professor, Jan Bruckner, and he's describing, we've talked about real estate reg- regulation, and now we're going to talk a little bit about airlines and those kind of commercial issues. All right. So I've done a lot of work on air- economics of airlines, a whole bunch of topics. You know, uh, one of the things I've worked a lot on is the effect of competition in the airline industry on airfares. And one of the findings there, which has also been found by other people, is that competition between the so-called legacy airlines, the big guys that have been around forever is not very effective in reducing fares. Whereas competition by low-cost carriers is a much bigger source of fare reductions. Everybody kind of knows that, right? We know that the Southwest and JetBlue and Spirit, those guys charge less and they are super competitive and they put da- keep downward pressure on airfares in the United States. So there's plenty of evidence that that's the case. Same thing happens in Europe. There are a bunch of low-cost carriers over there that are very big and that provide a lot of market discipline. So that's one thing I've worked on. Is Southwest considered, they're kind of a big one. Or are they well, they're, no, they're of, big. They're are they, big. Are they kind of between? Yeah, they're sort of between. I mean, uh, one of the interesting questions nowadays is whether Southwest is as much of a force, a competitive force, as it used to be. Or is it turning into just another big airline that doesn't compete as strongly? We still don't know the answer on, on that. There's not a recent study that says, that asks the, answers the question, has the Southwest effect, namely this huge downward pressure on fares, has it waned or disappeared? It'd be nice to know the answer, but no, we haven't really looked at it in the last five years. Do you have a sense, I mean, is it... Um... I actually happen to, I've been going to San Francisco a fair amount lately. And uh, so what's the issue? Because it's like, certainly I don't care that I can just jump on the airplane and not have to worry about a seat reservation. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't really care about snacks and so forth. So are they, um, is your point that it's like, yeah, they have lower fares, but no one really cares that much or? No, no, I just, in other words, are they undercutting the the legacy airlines by as much as they used to? That's the question. Oh, so maybe their prices are. Maybe the the gap is smaller now. Now we do see United just this week came out 
appears to be wanting to become more competitive with these lower cost airlines, and I right. guess it affect their affected their stock price quite a bit. Well, what they what United said they wanted to do was raise capacity, and ever all the stock watchers are nervous about that because we haven't had many price wars among the major airlines in a while, and so when stock analysts hear that an airline is going to raise capacity by 5%. It makes them nervous because then they think that there's going to be downward pressure on fares as other carriers follow suit and that airline profitability will fall. Mm-hmm. So the big airlines have not have been fairly disciplined in their capacity decisions of late, and that's been good for profits. So that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Now, the big airlines have, have done something recently that is more germane to the competition with low-cost carriers. And that is the the introduction of these basic economy fares, where you don't get an assigned seat. There are limitations on what you can bring on the plane, and there are various other restrictions. And so, essentially, they're competing with part of their cabin against the spirits and the jet blues of the world. Not the whole cabin, but part of it, by offering these uh, these tickets that are pretty bare bones, that look kind of like a ticket on uh, on spirit. Interesting. Is the airline industry healthy overall? Yeah, it's. I mean, it, you know, it's healthier now than it's been in a long time. Airlines used to routinely routinely lose money over long, long periods of time, but they've been profitable for for quite a while now. And the thing is that the airfares are not really going up. They've been kind of trending downward since this big spate of mergers. So it's not like the airlines are gouging the passengers. They may be gouging them by s- squeezing them into. <laughs> <laughs> into, <Felt that. laughs> into smaller seats with less leg room. But the fares are not really moving adversely from a uh, consumer point of view. Well, we have a few more minutes, Professor. I know you originally came from, was it the University of Illinois? Yeah, so I, I spent most of my career at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. I worked there for over 25 years. But being California native, I was always anxious to get back to California, and I managed to do it in 2005 when I came to UCI. Our economics department here at UCI, how, you know, are we, are there certain areas that we emphasize or is it a broad-based economics? We're pretty broad-based. We co- we cover the waterfront kind of when it comes to different types of economics, different fields of economics. We're a good department and we're getting better all the time. There are a lot of, a lot of excellent researchers here, good teachers. So we have a lot to offer to our students, I think. Do you see any cutting edge areas of economics, macro, micro, or, you know, in terms of the next five to 10 years? Is there... Well, one such area is, is, goes under the name of experimental economics. And UCI is very good in that area. We have a number of uh, prominent experimental researchers. And what experimental economics consists of is you want to test a hypothesis about human behavior. And instead of going out and getting data from the real world, you set up an artificial environment in the computer lab that poses questions to people and their responses, what they do in response to the questions, are often financial incentives. They make decisions, basically. What they do in response is a way, uh, provides a way of testing hypotheses about behavior. So this is a growing field in economics. You know, we haven't, 20 years ago, there was no such thing. We didn't do experiments in a computer lab. Yeah, very interesting. Now, is that, will you be going, you do? I don't do that. I don't do experiments. (laughs) I'm an old-fashioned guy. Gotcha. Anything 
that's drawn your attention in the last year or so in terms of, wow, this is, you know, you talked about experimental economics. Is there anything perked your interest? Well, there's another area that, uh, that I don't work in that's really important, and it's called behavioral economics. And it's basically about, it basically brings economic reasoning to understand what would appear to be irrational behavior on the part of consumers. You know, where consumers decide to go on a diet and then they immediately break their resolution and, and do something else, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to understand the kind of what people do that makes them look like they're not rational optimizing agents. They're doing goofy things. We're trying to understand it. And the, the hope is to get to a point of view where we can claim that on some higher level, they're still rational. It's just that they don't look rational when you look down close. Interesting. Professor, maybe we'll, we'll leave it with a last question is for students that are considering economics as a major, as a, as a, as a place to study, any advice or suggestions for students who are considering? You know, we, have a, we offer lots of, lots of good courses taught by really good people who, who are experts in their fields. And the main thing I would say to students is that economics is a lot of fun. It's a fabulous subject. Economists can study basically anything under the sun and we can bring economic theory to gain insight into into human behavior so there's a lot of interesting stuff to study here at uci as there is in most undergraduate programs so um, go for it <laughs>